podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the AI Writers Podcast. I'm back after a very busy week and I'm joined as usual by Tom Holmes who produced a really, really good show. It's worth noting last week with Josh and Alex. If you haven't checked that out, please do so. Um, but Tom, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I can't take too much of the credit for last week. Um, you know, you and me both planned to get Josh on and once we did, like, I think the, the pod pretty much did itself from there. Yeah, spot on really it was a brilliant article from josh um about packing if you if you haven't looked at that definitely check out his twitter as well he's got some some really interesting thoughts on a lot of things um but joining us this week is joe joe how are you yeah really good thanks leanne always great to be uh, back on the pod and it's been a while so yeah great to be back on yeah great to have you back on and and we've now begun the two-week international break which is always a, a pretty dull time uh, for football fans but it does offer the chance for some kind of reflection not just in terms of results and league positioning, but actually the overall feel of the club and, and how the performances have kind of been over the course of the season so far, uh, which is why it seems like the perfect opportunity to discuss your article, Joe, um, about how you know no one should be panicking. Um, you obviously wrote this after the 2-0 defeat in Belgrade in the Champions League and kind of on the issues that arose, not just from that performance. And, you know, we, we've seen flickers throughout the season of things that maybe haven't quite clicked so far for Liverpool. Um, so do you want to talk us through your article and your overall thoughts on that idea that, you know, we shouldn't be panicking? Because as healthy as our league position is at the moment, obviously, you know, the Champions League group is still very much up in the air. And there are a number of concerns that are kind of lurking in the background at the moment around this team. So, yes, we're, you know, we're second in the league. Yes, we're keeping pace with Manchester City. But there are a couple of you know, issues in terms of performance, maybe. So interested to get your thoughts in, in, in light of that Red Star game as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think like a lot of people, I uh, with it being the early kickoff, I rushed home, made sure I finished work on time and rushed home. I think I managed to catch the game about 10 minutes in and probably probably watched it for 80 minutes too long, really. It was a really poor, poor performance and we deservedly got beat. Um, all right, they got... they. They scored from probably the only two real chances they had, but we certainly weren't anywhere near good enough and at the level we'd expect to be. Um, so we started the second half slightly better, um, but weren't still weren't great. And probably with about 15 minutes to go, it kind of was pretty apparent to me that um, we weren't we weren't really going to get back into the game. And obviously very frustrated and sort of very very concerned by the performance, like a lot of Liverpool fans, but certainly the last 15 minutes I had to sort of accept we weren't going to win, gave me a bit of thinking time to look ahead. Um, I just thought it was an interesting point. I knew whenever you whenever you lose to a team like Red Star, as difficult as a place it is to go, if, you, if you're professional about your performance, uh, then you will get a win. Uh, we certainly weren't. Um, so I understood why the team and Klopp uh, got a lot of criticism and rightly so, um, but I thought considering the way we started the season, um, it, it was sort of a good time to reflect on actually we're in quite a good good position considering the performances we've, we've put in and actually when, when Klopp had kind of chosen a team that most people would probably probably think is about our best eleven at this point, then we've actually performed quite well and looked looked a lot better than we have done when Klopp has sort of reverted back to his 4-3-3 that without without that sort of box to box ball carrying midfielder that that Ox was at the sort of back end of last season and Cater has threatened to be at the start of this season then it's not really worked um but there were encouraging signs when he has when he has flipped to a sort of 4-2-3-1 or variation of that we have looked look look quite quite promising so I thought considering the start we've had um, sort of keeping pace with City then there's a time to uh, sort of reflect on what's been quite a good start to the season and I sort of include it into the article that if Klopp can evolve evolve that 4-3-3 system um, and sort of make sure he only deploys it in matches when it's really necessarily in, and he has make sure that we have got a ball carrier in that formation and I think I think we will have a successful season 
um, if Klopp can evolve and develop the team at a rate uh, we've perhaps not seen in the past. He's sometimes took too long to develop, but I think him reverting back to a 4-2-3-1 on Sunday against Fulham uh, showed that he probably is learning quicker than he ha- than he has done, and perhaps he has more trust now uh, in his midfielders to play in a play in a two-man. Uh, and we're seeing the benefits of that when it when he does play that. So overall, I think it's been a very very positive start to the season. Okay, we're still in the balance in the Champions League. Uh, whether we're going to go through, but this Liverpool side is is you'd back it to get a win against either PSG or Napoli, um, and and do the business to get through. So overall, I think it's been been a very good start to the season. And if Klopp and the the lads can sort of develop develop on the start we've had, I think I think we'll have a successful one. Yeah, some some really interesting points there. I guess my first question is, you know, you, you pointed out quite rightly that we haven't really played well in the majority of our games this season. Um, and I guess, you know, why is that? Uh, obviously, it's a case of maybe Klopp has changed his approach. He's become a little bit more pragmatic. He's looking to utilise different systems and, and obviously bed in different players into that system. Um, but I think, you know, we're all in agreement when we say this isn't necessarily the Liverpool of last season or prior seasons where we've kind of outscored teams and, and just kind of bulldozed our way in, in 10-15 minute spells. It's been a lot more kind of uh, drip feeding in terms of really kind of getting going and we're still yet to really hit top form. So, you know, wh- why is that? Why do you kind of think that's the case? Is it is it a tactical thing where, you know, you, you point to clock is needing to adapt and, and go maybe to that four two three one from the four three three? Is it a case of He's, you know, necessarily realised something's not quite clicking, something's not getting the best out of these players, so he's got to switch it? Or is it actually a case of he's changed his approach based on the foundations of this defence? Yeah, I think it, I think I'd think i say it's probably a combination of things. Uh, I think we'd all say the 4-3-3 hasn't, hasn't particularly worked, and I think uh, the, a big reason for that is because we're lacking a ball carrier in midfield to link the midfield to attack. That's certainly been... And one of the most prominent observations I've had is when we have played it, um, we, we've just had no link to midfield, uh, from the midfield to the attack. We're relying on quite direct balls, which at times can be very effective, but also when it's not working, it just just completely doesn't work. Work and our attack, like it was, sort of against Napoli uh, and Man City, is completely nullified. So I think that that's the, the formation's definitely a factor. I think. The way opposition teams are given us more respect probably probably needs to be needs to be sort of talked about a little bit more. I think teams now recognise as real real threat uh, and are perhaps defending slightly deeper than some have. I know, I know a lot of teams did come to Anfield last season and did uh, defend in a low block, but there's also a lot of teams um, who didn't, particularly at the start of the season. When when again at the start of last season, we probably weren't weren't on top form and that's the thing that the problem is because we had such a such a brilliant end to last season people remember or think that we were like that the whole season and reality was we probably didn't start until about or get going until about this time last season um and uh yeah I think I think it's a, uh, also we've got new players um to bed in which we had sort of less of last season uh, so I think the combination of, of those factors have meant that it has been a in terms of performance, uh, a slow start. Uh, but in terms of results, we, I don't think we complain at all. I certainly would have took being in the position we are um, so far. And uh, I don't think any fan can be disappointed. Uh, it's just a shame that Man City haven't haven't shown any signs of, uh, of dropping off the pace from last season. And if anything, probably looking slightly better. Yeah, one... I, I mean, I completely agree with you about a few things there. I think first, you know, if City aren't playing as well as City are playing, I think maybe the narrative is a little bit different. Um, I think you, you're, you're very much right about how last season we did take until about this sort of time last year to get going. I think, to be fair, by this point last season, we had kind of found our form a little bit and we were in, in the midst of a good spell. But even then, it's worth remembering that in, you know, December sort of time, we were we ended up in a situation where we drew back-to-back games against pretty poor sides. So I think, you know, there were long spells of last season where Liverpool were not at their best, and a lot of that did coincide with Champions League qualification as well. So I think that's maybe one of the more impressive things about this season is how we've managed to bounce back from Champions League results and go on and do well in the Premier League afterwards as well. Um, I mean, one of the better things about that Fulham result was that we it was after Belgrade, and we went and we got the 
result by any means necessary. Um, one thing I think is really interesting, and I want to draw a comparison with a, a previous title winning side, is that I do think it's interesting that when, for a lot of people, if you're not playing well in an attacking sense, you're not playing well. If that makes sense, like if you say a team is playing well, you instinctively assume that it's an attacking sense. You kind of have to caveat if you say, because I think in many respects, Liverpool are playing really, really well this season. There's a lot of aspects of our game that is really, really impressive, especially defensively. Um, And I think, you know, team, a lot of people kind of take it for granted that if you are a good side, you have to be a good attacking side and that being a good defensive side just isn't really an acceptable way of doing things, which I think is really interesting. Um, But I want to draw a comparison with... um, uh, this is obviously not sort of representative of where we are, but but um, Chelsea of 2005. Does anyone want to take a stab at how many goals they conceded that year? Um, in the whole season. In the whole season. A lot. No, I don't I'd say, know. I'd say under 20, was it? It was 15. Yeah. Oh, this wow. was the... 15 in the whole season. This was their, this was, I believe was their first title under Mourinho. But, um, but yeah, they scored 15 goals less than Arsenal did. And Arsenal were the runners up that year by 12 points. This is the sec, this is up until last year, the best Premier League, the best points tally of any Premier League side, 95 points. They conceded 15 goals and their goal scoring was like, in terms of title winning sides, I'd consider average. It was 72. Like 72 is good, but it's not in terms, you know, it's not, run away for a title winner is it so it just shows you you know there's more than one way to skin a cat there is more than one way to deliver results there is more than one way to win a league title um and i think just because in many respects we're not playing necessarily well consistently in an attacking sense doesn't mean that we aren't playing well i think you know you look at games like the fulham game it i think the fulham game is one of those results you can look at two ways it's 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 very natural to look at that result and go you know what we did not play particularly well in an attacking sense we didn't really open them up there is some sort of genuine cause for concern there. But another way of looking at it is we we, were, we weren't great in the first half, but we scored our goals. And when we went 2-0 up, we made it impossible for that game to be any result other than 2-0, um, which I think is a really good sign that we can basically, when we get to 2-0, we can sit back in games and go, this is our game now. I, I, I think the, you know, the only game where we, in the Premier League at least, no, the only game, well, the only game in all competitions that we haven't won when we've gone in front was that Arsenal game. That's the only one this season where we've got in front and not stayed in front. So I think that's a really good sign that what maybe one of the things that people are banging on about over the last few years has been our inability to see off leads. That's a big, big thing that people have criticised Klopp for, but it's something that we have see, have managed to address. So I do think it's interesting that just be, like stylistically, we are very different. And I would certainly agree that there are some issues that need to be addressed, but over overall, I think just because we're playing it different differently doesn't and potentially more defensively doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It's basically what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you've both made some very poignant points, and one of which is the fact that City's form is almost clouding what this team has achieved. We're we're all sitting here and we're all saying, okay, this isn't Liverpool, maybe at at tip top best, um, but this is the best points tally that we've had in the Premier League era from. The opening 12 games, we've got uh, 30 points from 36. So again, that's an indication in itself of, of the progress being made. Um, just to take it kind of into the light of the of the Champions League, because I guess that in itself is the perfect indication of how things maybe aren't necessarily clicking, especially in terms of Europe, uh, because that Red Star game obviously was not supposed to be the easy three points. There's never an easy three points in the Champions League and, and you shouldn't go into games with that kind of attitude. But at the same time, this was a side who Liverpool would have been expected to beat. Okay, you know, they frustrated Napoli and, and got a draw. Um, but Liverpool have more than enough quality to, to see off teams like Red Star Belgrade. And and so that made the result so disappointing. But actually, it wasn't just about the result. It was about that performance. And it wasn't something that was necessarily a once in a blue moon. It had happened in Italy as well. So I guess the question is, Josh, how does Klopp approach the next two games against the likes of PSG and Napoli? Because I think I'm right in saying a win against Napoli at Anfield would be enough, regardless of the Paris Saint-Germain result, as long as we scored by two goals or more. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But um, yeah, I guess, you know, from playing so poorly against Red Star, from playing so poorly against Napoli, how does he kind of change things up for those two big, big games? 
It's a real difficult one because PSG are one of those sides where you could probably go to them and play somewhere close to their best. But if they're at their best, then it'll be very difficult for us to get a result. Um, for me, if if Naby Keita gets game time in the game against Watford, I think he, he has to play. I, I'd like to see his revert, probably like to see his revert back to a 4-3-3 if Naby Keita... Um, Play, plays against Watford and plays well um, because I think to deal with Neymar, Mbappe, uh, Cavani, Di Maria, we probably do need to double up in wide areas and 4-3-3 gives you probably more flexibility to do that uh, than a 4-2-3-1 would. Um, so if Naby Keita plays well and shows signs of being effective in a 4-3-3, I can see Klopp and I probably would revert back to a 4-3-3. Um, to to sort of nullify their their wingers and their attacking options, um, but having said that, if, if Cater sort of isn't isn't fit to start the Watford game and isn't isn't um, looking looking like he's going to be able to start and and be quite effective in in, in a game like PSG, I think Klopp does have to accept that a three man midfield uh, which lacks a ball carrier, uh, which without Cater it would and Oxley Chamberlain being out injured. Then I don't think even that sort of saying that extra security, um, it makes no difference if we've got no no out ball and low, no link to um, no link to the uh, the attack. So if Kater doesn't play, I'd, I'd play a four two three one. Yeah, I think that's that's a very interesting take and, and probably something that Tom's going to agree on. Um, but I, I agree. I think Kater is is kind of a a weapon we've not really seen utilised yet because apart from the the West Ham game, he's not really been able to get things going. It it obviously does take time to bed into a new side and and to get things going. Um, but the traits that we saw in in the Bundesliga with his time at, at Leipzig are perfect for what Klopp needs right now. We you know we've all talked at length in previous podcasts in our articles. Every Liverpool fan knows that there's something not quite clicking in terms of that midfield. It is the midfield puzzle. And maybe someone like Cater is exactly what we need in terms of that creativity and ingenuity. And so that that is going to be a huge factor in terms of PSG and Napoli and obviously over the course of the, the Premier League season as well. Um, Tom, just to, to get your thoughts, not just on Cater, but also I thought that Napoli game especially... Um, Red Star was slightly different in the sense that, you know, they, they get their goal, they sit back, they're able to be very determined and, and vigilant in their defending, and you've got to give them credit for that. But for the Napoli game, what really stood out for me was their pressing. You know, what the energy and the pressing that you usually would associate with Liverpool, we were actually seeing from Napoli um, instead. And so is that something that Klopp has to address as well? You know, we can sit here and we can talk about the creative aspect that Cater could bring, but actually... Um, Cy Brundish and his stats say that the the press isn't really working at the moment and is that key in, in terms of getting a result in the Champions League and moving through these stages? I mean, yes. Uh, pressing is such a huge part of Liverpool's game, especially the way we play it, that, yeah, if the press isn't quite working, that is really going to shoot on our attack. Um, what I would say is that players like Cater do do well to in in certain in two respects I think one you've got a player like Cater who has demonstrated that he's an exceptional presser of the ball when he gets the chance so having Cater in that midfield will certainly help the press anyway but I think the other thing is you when you've got players like Cater who are impressive on the ball you take the need for a pressing player out of the attack in many respects because what you do is you you make your attack less one-dimensional and less um pressing based and a player like Cater who is so phenomenal at uh, progressing the ball is a really, really important part of that. I mean, we say he's not quite going yet, which is is very true. But his his underlying sort of progression numbers and how he moves the ball through that midfield is already showing to be legitimately phenomenal. And that's for me the most exciting thing that he's a this is a player who hasn't necessarily even got started yet, and he's already demonstrating that he can bring so much to that midfield. And I think if you look at what we've been missing in the last few weeks, certainly compared to the opening three or four games of the season, it is an Abicator type player who can move the ball through the midfield, move it vertically. um, And also just, yeah, just cause defenders different problems, give defenders something to think about. And I think maybe he's the difference. If you sub him in for Genie, he's the big difference that we could be making to that midfield, especially in a two-man. But equally in a three-man, I could see how he would fit in that as well, because he's obviously operated really well in a three-man. 
up until this point as well. So yeah, I think I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I do think losing so many of our important and top pressers is a hurt, is a problem. Obviously, losing Oxo Chamberlain is a blow. Losing Emre Chan, I think, is maybe a, a blow that isn't maybe being appreciated as much as it could or should be. But he was a vital player in that midfield as well, both in an in an attacking sense and in a um, pressing sense. He was a better presser and a more attacking midfielder than any of Vinaldum, Henderson, and Milner. So. Yeah, I think there's a lot of questions still to be asked. Uh, and especially with, when you've got a player like Bobby, who's so integral to the side, not playing well. But he, but ultimately, I do think Cater is the answer to a lot of the questions that we're having at the moment. Um, Joe, what, what are your thoughts on that in terms of the press? And, and actually, you know, uh, Tom mentioned there, Roberto Firmino, he, he's obviously going to be pivotal in terms of these results as well, because we all want Liverpool to to do very well in the Premier League. We want them to be keeping pace with Man City and hopefully come the end of the season, you know, it's a, it's a two-horse race and we're very much in amongst it for that title. But also, it would kind of feel like a, a real disappointment to go from Kiev to, to not progressing through the group stage. So, you know, how, how important is that press? How important is getting the best out of Roberto Firmino to ensure that? Yeah, I definitely think uh, the, our pressing hasn't been as good as it, it was for a lot of last season. Um, difficult to kind of put put your finger on that. I know we had a lot of debate about this at the start of the last season. It was probably came off the back, particularly of that result away at Newcastle when we, well, I think we drew in the end. One um, Orcatino scored a good goal and then hot, it was a known goal in the end. But we, we were sort of terrible off, out of possession. We never tried to press them. Um and for at the start of last season, that was a big, big debate we had, and I think think it was raised, and, and Gags highlighted it very well, um, that we just weren't pressing at all. And then, then after the Newcastle game, something seemed to flick, and um, and we were a lot better out of possession, which kind of coincided with us uh, picking up in an attacking sense. Um, I think I don't think we've been as bad as that this season. I think we have pressed better. Um, I think there has been games uh, when we probably haven't quite pressed at the same intensity as, as you'd expect. I think to an extent that's a game plan. Uh, I thought against Man City we gave them perhaps a bit too much respect. Um, we probably didn't ex- Klopp possibly expected Guardiola to be a, a tad more direct than he was. Uh, in the end, Guardiola uh, sort of decided to just kind of miss out the midfield and play play the ball out from the back but more in wide areas uh, rather than being more direct, which kind of was quite effective. Uh, same against Arsenal. I thought I thought Arsenal, um, sort of the team they have and the, and the way they try to play out from the back, they were, they were there to be pressed really high and t- really sort of get at them. And even if it's uh, one of the front three coming out of that sort of system and saying, look, I'm going to press it, everyone's got to back me up and, and just taking a bit of a gamble, I would have liked to have seen that against both Man City and Arsenal, uh, rather than it being such a structured press. It would have been nice for someone, uh, particularly against Arsenal, against Man City, it's a bit more difficult because if someone goes and no one else goes with him or it breaks down, then then you're in real trouble. But certainly against Arsenal, I think you can afford to take a bit more of a chance. Uh, and I was a bit disappointed we didn't do that. Uh, so I definitely think the pressing is, is an area we need to, we need to improve on. Um, and we can get better at. In terms of Firmino, again, I don't think he. I think we'll all admit he hasn't. He hasn't started the season brilliantly. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult to kind of put your finger on. There's nothing. There's nothing that looks too far wrong. It's just his touch maybe isn't quite as as exceptional as it usually is. He out of possession. He he still seems to be working hard, but perhaps teams are a bit more aware that. Even if you get past Firmino, he'll be looking to get back at you. Uh, so he just he just looks slightly off it. Um, what what that's down to, I don't know. It could be could be a bit of illness that that sometimes a player can can get that, and that will never come out in the media. Um, but there certainly does look certainly something just just off colour. Um, but I do feel I do feel when we're when Shakiri plays, I know we'll come on to speak about him later. But when he plays and Salah's playing a little bit close to Firmino. Then, when he's not quite on form, it sort of doesn't harm the team as much uh, because he's he's less isolated and and can sort of sort of his sort of three quarter balls, which are almost perfect but not quite in a four two three. You really notice them, whereas in a in a four two three one, you can kind of get away with them because if if Mo doesn't get it, then Sadio or or Shakiri will. Um, 
So the form of Bobby is a bit of a concern, but I've got I've got no doubt that he he, he will we will see the best out of Firmino uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess on that note, um, I'll I'll give you the the last say in terms of your article. Just again, uh, returning to the idea that Liverpool fans shouldn't panic. Of course, there's you know a few underlying issues in terms of the midfield, in terms of the likes of Bobby Firmino. We all want to see uh, Jordan Shakiri, who we're going to come on to in a minute, be in and around that um, that first team. So, you know, what's your kind of overriding feeling? Because this isn't a team who has hit top gear, but at the same time, is that not actually a positive rather than a negative, rather than a frustrating? Um, you know, we all want to see Liverpool being the exhilarating attacking side of last year, but actually to be just two points off Man City who have been so phenomenal this season who don't look like letting up to, to be really in and around there to be in such a good position in the league is a real positive and okay you know the performance level the the entertainment isn't quite there yet but hopefully it will come and in the meantime we've got a great base you know the attack might not be clicking but the defence definitely is and so there is actually a lot of positivity to be taken rather than the frustration of the actual performances yeah, no, absolutely. I t- totally agree. And I think I think to be able to win when you're not playing at your best, particularly for this Liverpool side, is something under Klopp we've not we've not been able to do and it's probably been one of our biggest weakness. And Klopp Klopp has admitted himself that a lot of the time we've we've sort of played played really well. We, we, the results come, but when we've not quite been been at it, we uh, we've just sort of dropped points. And this this season that's been that's not been the case. We've ground out results, which I think is definitely positive. And if it, if nothing more than it gives, it gives players confidence. If you're not quite playing well, but you're finding ways to win, is that when you when you go through tricky periods and games and seasons, uh, you kind of think you'll find a way to win it. A lot you'll see that with uh, teams who win the title. Um, they sort of get to maybe ten games out. This happened with with sort of Leicester and. And they perhaps weren't playing as brilliantly as they were because they've got so much momentum. It kind of almost felt inevitable that even though we might not be playing well and not look like scoring, we will actually score and win the game because that's what that's what hap- has happened this season. Um, and I think that's the kind of momentum and mindset we're building. And yes, it can be can cause problems like it did in Red Star. It can lead to a bit of com- complacency, which I think set in. Um, because players are humans at the end of the day and as professional as they can be. If you're winning games, not playing well, you kind of gets ingrained into your thought that we will just find a way, which has its positives, as we've said, but also it can be dangerous. But I think I think that Red Star performance was a was one which, as unacceptable as it is, once a season, you can probably get away with it. Um, but yeah, if we see another performance like that, that's that's the time to get concerned and start asking real questions. But Klopp's shown shown a willingness to adapt this season and learn probably quicker than he ever has done what what's kind of working and what's not. So yeah, I've got every faith in the in the players and Klopp that that we will hit top form very soon and whether we'll be able to um, beat Man City to the title, I'm I'm not sure. It'll be very difficult, but. If they slip up, I think we'll be there or thereabouts to take advantage of it. What what I will say is um, I thought the Napoli performance was worse than the performance against Red Star. I think that it was just the case that against Napoli, it was a, well, it was a good team and we were playing for a nil-nil, which is fair enough because it was a good team. We were playing for a nil-nil, but I think the performance itself was, was a lot worse than the performance against Red Star. Um, we offered absolutely nothing in attack that day and we were getting bullied on defence as well. Um, yeah, I think I, I I think you're right overall. I think there there aren't too many causes for concern. But what I think what I think you do kind of have to have to bear in mind is that we were sat there after the Napoli get after the Red Star game, and we were saying, you know, this has been coming. So it's not as if um it's not as if the Red Star game was a it was a one off in the sense that the extent with which it went wrong, but it was something that we did foresee coming, and it was something that we did kind of say like we have to change something otherwise things are not going to get better and i think obviously we've we've made Klopp has made a few tweaks already and i'm sure he will make more tweaks but i i don't think it's necessarily straightforward that a result like red star isn't isn't in the pipeline because i do think we've still got a red star performance another red star performance in us at the moment personally 
Okay, um, we'll move on there to talk about uh, Scott Green's article. He couldn't be with us, unfortunately, but we are going to talk about Jordan Shakiri, who is sort of the man of the moment, I guess you could call him, because at the moment he is really knocking at the door in terms of getting a consistent place for that starting eleven. Uh, for political reasons and you know safety, Klopp didn't want the distractions of of the team uh, being away from the football on show at Reds, albeit the football not being very good from Liverpool on the day. Fulham obviously in that 2-0 win and, and he again made things happen he was the bright spark he was offering things that Liverpool have been lacking at other times in the in the season um, and and Scott you know he he points out that for 13 million Jordan Shakiri's influence and importance to this team is is continuing to grow and um, you know why shouldn't he therefore be starting because he has been a, a really really good buy for this team um, and there's more to come so uh, Joe I'll start with you First of all, I guess, what what have you made of Jadon Shaqiri and, and has he caught your eye as well? Yeah, absolutely. I've been very impressed. I, I won't lie. I, I've, we had discussions on the pod before he signed uh, and I made it pretty clear that I didn't think he was a perfect fit for a clock 4-3-3 system uh, and I still don't think he is. Uh, however, we've seen this season with the signs we've made, uh, certainly in Fabinho and, and Cater. Uh, that actually, if if he's going to evolve, Klopp's going to evolve the the system into a four two three one or a variation of that. Then there is there is clearly a role for Shakiri, whether that be on the on the right of a four, if you like, or or in a number ten role. Um, then he can be very effective, and and him playing kind of has a knock on effect on the team with Salah going more centrally, uh, which means. Bobby's sort of less isolated and has a partner to play with. Um, it also means that Fabinho, who who struggled as a six a little bit, um, can play more of his natural game and interchange with with Wijnaldum, um, who again looks looks a lot better player in a two. He, he seems to have more freedom to, or has more responsibility rather, uh, to get on the ball and dictate play because. He's he's one of one of two midfielders in there, so so that seems he, he seems to recognise he he's got to do more more with possession, um, and having those two two midfield we've kind of Klopp's kind of played it a few different ways. Sometimes we play play it in a way where the fullbacks really play play high and wide, which was the case against Fulham, um, or at times sometimes uh, sort of the fullbacks play play are slightly more reserved. Um, and one of the midfielders is a, is a bit more advanced, so there are slight variations to it to his four-two-three-one, which which we've seen. Um, but certainly Shakiri and the knock-on effect he has on the whole side has, has been very impressive. And I think the the best thing you can say about Shakiri is that he's came into one of the best front threes in Europe, and he hasn't sort of looked starstruck or anything, which which would be easy to do. Um, and I think Sai Brundis mentioned it before he signed that he has got the mentality needed to succeed at Liverpool. It's very easy. People will laugh and say, oh, you just need to be good at football. But ultimately, it comes down to a lot more than that. You've got to have a lot of self-belief to go on the pitch with the likes of Firmino, Mane and, and Salah and believe you've got every right to be there and, and dictate and, and make things happen. And Shakiri's got that mindset of, I want to be the best player on the pitch and I'm going to show the players and the fans that I am. Um, and yeah, he's been absolutely exceptional uh, so far this season and long may it continue. And if he does, then he certainly gives Klopp uh, a lot of selection headaches because at the minute it, it seems very difficult to leave him out unless, unless there's a formation change. Tom, would you agree with that? Because I, I myself am a massive fan of Shakiri as I kind of alluded to earlier and as Joe has pointed out there, it, it does seem a case of whenever he's kind of on the ball, whenever he's involved in the starting eleven, he is bridging that gap between midfield and attack. He's showing the drive to to take possession and really take the game to the opposition. Um, he's got creativity. He's got vision as well. And you know the perfect example of that was was his goal against Fulham. First of all, the the composure to cushion the ball into the far corner from Robertson's cross is is quite simply stunning. His first goal for Liverpool as well was equally as good, where he that that first touch from Sam's ball he really just hits it dead, takes the defender out of the game and slots at home. Great composure again. And, and you know, there's there's examples in terms of his creativity with the build-up play against Red Star at Anfield, which has been lacking when he's not on the pitch. Uh, you know, we spoke earlier about the 2-0 defeat in Belgrade. That's the perfect example of it. That's what happens. 
you know, when, when he's not playing, I'm not saying it's all down to Shakiri. There are obviously other factors. It was a bad day for Liverpool um, that evening, but he does offer something that other people haven't really been able to to bring to the fore at the moment. Would you agree with that? I would certainly agree that he is bringing something to the table nobody else is, which is a bit of spark from midfield. Um, I'm not necessarily sure about creativity. I'm not sure that's necessarily a big part of it, as as big a part of his game as some people are making out that it is. Um, I think what he does bring to the table is, as I say, a bit of spark. He adds a bit of create. He adds a bit of movement. He adds a bit of um, space. He creates space for others. He's got a great touch. He can bring players into the game a bit more. I think. As an, we certainly look like a more fluid attacking unit when he's playing. And I think part of that is that he's a player who gets a lot of freedom. Um, he, The way he operates at the moment in this sort of 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 hybrid is he's based, at times he can, he's got that license to sort of drop deep and, and get involved in the play off the right flank because he knows that Salah can drift wide to sort of compensate for that. Um, but sort of off the ball, he's very much playing as a right winger. Um I think, as I say, I think he certainly brings a bit of spark to his game. He certainly got an impact. And I think an impact player is exactly what Liverpool needed. Someone who can come on the pitch and, and do very much with very little time. And I think that's pretty... I don't see much of a reason to change his role necessarily. Um, he's certainly influenced as well when he's been playing and when he's been starting. But for me, a couple of the issues still remain. Obviously, the big issue over Shakiri has always been his consistency. And um, I think when he, he at the moment, he's in a good groove at the moment. He's playing quite well every time he comes on the pitch. But it, it does remain to be seen whether he can keep that going over a long spell, um, which is something that certain other players in, in, the, in this Liverpool team have potentially struggled with over time. Um, yeah, you could argue there's only really two or three players who've consistently played well for the club over, over a period of years. Um, so I guess that's one question mark I have. Um, the other question mark is I don't think he still starts in the big games. It's very telling that Klopp has left him out of pretty much every big game he's played um, in, which makes a lot of sense because as part of his role, he does get a lot of freedom in that 4-2-3-1 and his defensive side of his game is still not there at all, um, which is fine. Like As you say, he's a new player. He's not quite integrated into the system yet. Um, but I do question whether that defensive side of his game is going to be something he, he can improve to the point where he will be starting. Um also, I think, as Joe says, he doesn't really fit the 4-3-3. Um, he does enable us to play that 4-2-3-1, which I do think, as I've said before, should be the default formation going forward. But if we do want to switch back to a 4-3-3, his only real role in that team is if Klopp wants to drop one of the front three, because he certainly can't play in the midfield three. Um, not properly, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a lot to like about Jean Kerry. He's certainly bringing that impact and that flair to the table and he's just offering something that at the moment we don't have which is as you say that link between attack and midfield which is really really important um i'm not necessarily as blown over as some people have been um i think maybe a lot of people are doing a little bit of hyperbolizing which makes sense because he's he's he looks sharp which i think is something that maybe is maybe kind of underrated that he's a player who just sort of has a as i say spark there's just something intangible about the way he picks up the ball and moves which is maybe led to some of the hyperbolizing but i certainly think he's been an incredibly valuable asset and we look better as a team when he's on the pitch. Yeah, I think, uh, again, a number of good points made there. Just to hone in, before we talk about, you know, should he be starting in the, in the big games, which I think you made a really interesting point there on, Tom. Um, Scott has made a point in his article that actually, in his appearances to date, Shakiri seems to have a, a good connection and understanding with the likes of Salah. And um, just a stat I found um, yesterday, actually, was that Liverpool have scored a goal every 23 minutes when Salah, Mane, Firmino and Shakiri have all been on the pitch. So again, that kind of underlines the point that we're all making in terms of that gap between midfield and, and attack being a lot smaller when Shakiri is on that pitch. Um, and so, you know, in the, in the last uh, six games, just for Shakiri, he's only failed to make one direct contribution. And he does seem to bring out the best in, in players like Salah who don't necessarily get the one-on-one opportunities they did last season. Obviously, you know, when teams come to Anfield and we when we go away, they know Salah is one of our key danger men. And so they they might put two players on him, three players on him and, and try to cut out that space, which is possibly why Klopp is trying to to now push him through the middle. Um, Joe, how, how crucial is um, Shakiri, in terms of we spoke earlier about getting the best out of Firmino and, and actually Firmino is a prime example because he's more in a withdrawn role at the moment I would say um, just kind of 
picking up different positions, Salah going through the middle, how important is Shakiri's involvement in that and that fluidity of movement between those front four going to be in terms of getting the best out of the likes of Salah, Mano and Firmino? Yeah, no, I definitely think Shakiri playing has a, has a massive effect. I think I think the uh, sort of switch to the four-two-three-one and essentially having sort of four attackers instead of the three really means we don't have to be quite quite as precise as we do in a four-three-three. It feels as though if if every pass isn't perfect in a four-three-three, uh, the attack breaks down. Whereas when we have as simplistic as it is to say more bodies. Uh, around the final third, it just means that you have to be that little bit less a- accurate, and you can kind of rely on combinations um, between players rather than specific set patterns of play, which a lot of the time we're quite reliant on in a four-three-three. So I think just simply just having having an extra body really does help. Um, I think if you, if you brought someone like Sturridge into the ten uh, ten position, he'd have a similar effect um, as well. Uh, but I, th- I think the main thing about Firmino is how how beneficial do I think the four two three one is to him? Uh, honestly, I'm not too sure. I think I think at the minute there's not enough interchange between Salah and Firmino for my liking. I think Firmino is very much that number ten who who drops deep and and sort of links to play. Um, and Salah's the the sort of striker if you like to stretch teams in behind. And Salah does come short, which is good to see. But I don't. I feel like Firmino's too too set on coming coming towards the ball, which which is good at times, but I'd like to see more interchange between him and Mo. Um Salah does does come deep 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 at times and link the play, but I don't think Firmino in that ten rolls kind of running in behind enough. Which is why which is why I've never been a massive fan of the four two three one because I think it kind of implies the number ten is gonna gonna always try to play in between the lines and the striker is always going to try and run in behind. Whereas the most successful teams who who play it often often have that interchange, which makes it very difficult for teams to mark. The the sort of Salah, if you like, will drop deep and Firmino runs in behind or or the vice versa. And I think I think that's what will cause team problem and that, that will probably for me be key to Firmino sort of scoring more goals and, and being more more influential in the team is is him not just coming deep and dropping um dropping deep more him sort of doing that but also at times running in behind and stretching stretching defenses because it just just sort of asks them different questions so i think for me the uh the way in which sort of salah and firmino work off each other is going to be key to to firmino rebuilding that form and him him accepting that okay i'm playing number 10 but i've still got to make move the similar movements in behind that i would occasionally do when i'm playing number nine so for me that that'll be that'll be key key to Firmino getting back to his best. Tom, how about you in, in terms of Firmino and getting him back to his best? What kind of role does, does Shakiri play in that? Because as you both pointed out, Shakiri doesn't necessarily fit in that 4-3-3 formation. I know um, and people have pointed out that maybe because of Firmino's form, it could be a case of dropping Firmino, putting um, Shakiri on the wing and, and Salah through the middle. But personally, I think Firmino is such a, a huge, this Liverpool team operates even if he's not quite on his game he is still influencing things he is still getting involved and although that's kind of been diminished so far this season I think it would be wrong to to maybe take him out and, and push Shakiri out wide so if it is you know a, a 4-2-3-1 where we're likely to see the the four players play together how is it that Shakiri is going to benefit for me you know, or, or do you think he won't I think it's a tough one um I was saying on Ray Don't Hate the other day, and I I think you're you in particular are going to hate me for saying this. Maybe it's not necessarily that straightforward to get Firmino back to where he should be, because I think, um, as I said, I think a lot of people talk about Salah having uh, not being able to live up to last season, uh, and so a lot of people say, you know, oh, uh, like last season because Salah's last season was so good, he's not going to be able to do better than that again this season, which is a fair point. But what a lot of people are maybe ignoring from that is that actually Firmino, I think, had a bigger overperformance than Salah last season. So I think maybe the narrative should be that maybe Firmino's going to struggle to just maybe struggle to play as well as he did last season. Because if you look at Firmino's career as a whole, last season was a bit of an outlier, and it's possible that he's just not going to be that good again. And that's something that I think maybe we need to maybe sort of address. Um, I think in terms of how Shakiri benefits him, I think Shakiri takes a lot of the pressure off him um, in terms of creativity because um, 
when you've got an extra player in that front four who is doing things, able to make things happen, have a shot, drive past the player, open up space. It, it as as Joe says, it, uh, it gives Firmino more space to operate in. It takes the pressure off Firmino to be the one generating space because that's such a key part of Firmino's game, making the runs and drawing defenders out. If you've got another player who is doesn't really have a fixed position and can, is able to make more movement in the midfield, that will make Firmino's job in generating space a lot easier. So to that extent, um, maybe the way he helps Firmino is by helping the attack as a whole rather than specifically Firmino. Um, if anything, though, what could be hurting him is that, as as Joe says, he has a really good relationship with Salah, and maybe that's hurting the fact that for, by playing the 4-2-3-1, one of the ways that Firmino really benefited was from playing alongside Salah. So if Salah's playing in a slightly different role this season because Shaqiri's playing, in many respects, the Salah role, then that means Firmino's not necessarily getting the best out of Salah, which might hurt their relationship which isn't necessarily true because you saw Firmino's best moment at the weekend was a really good piece of interchange with Salah. But I think it's going to be interesting to see going forward how the Shakiri, how Shakiri himself affects the Salah-Firmino um, relationship and whether or not that relationship is able to get back to its best. Because for me, Firmino's at his best when he's playing alongside Amo Salah, who is in at playing at his best, because that's how to get the best out of Firmino is, to get the, is for Salah to play well, for me at least. I think that's, that's completely spot on and, and part of that, as earlier, is in these. Um, I, you know, the the next thing I want to come on to is where Shakiri kind of operates because we've we've said to death now that he doesn't really fit in the four three three. But should should Shakiri be starting? Um, you know, on the basis that Klopp is going to operate a four two three one, that is um, an assumption that I'm making. If he's not, we I think we're all in an agreement that Shakiri potentially shouldn't start. But if he does operate a four two three one. In the big games, Tom, you mentioned that you you probably wouldn't play him. You don't see Klopp using him because of his defensive contribution, because of the fact that he operates and he relies upon this freedom to to kind of move forward with the ball. And in doing so, that's that's great from an attacking perspective. But sometimes it can leave us a little open uh, for midfield. Um, Joe, what's your thoughts on that? So, would you start him in the big games, looking ahead to you know when? When we play Man City again, when we play the likes of uh, Paris Saint-Germain in, in the Champions League as well, on the basis that we go for something like a 4-2-3-1. Do you think now, because of Shakiri's form, because of the way he is impacting and, and helping bridge the gap between midfield and attack, that he should be starting? Yeah, I think if if we do play a 4-2-3-1, then it'd be harsh on on Shakiri not to start him. I, I think it'd be very risky uh, to play a 4 Four two three one against PSG and Man City. Um, I'm not sure you, you could get away with it against Man City. I think you'd be relying on quite a bit of luck and them not taking advantage of some quite good situations for us to, for us to get a result. Um, but again, against someone like Napoli, I, I don't see any need to play a four three three. That it's a big game, um, but I don't really think they'll under Ancelotti they'll try to really play through midfield. Uh, enough to warrant having three midfielders. Uh, United, uh, it's difficult to predict what they'll do. But again, do I think they they pose enough of a threat directly through midfield to play play a three? Probably not. The way we're playing it at the minute. Arsenal again at home. Do they warrant warrant playing three man midfield again? Probably probably not. Uh, they play a two as well, and I think our our two midfielders, whether that be for being a Wijnaldum, for being okay to um, a variation of that, I think I think we we, we could dominate midfield just a two man. So I think I think if we if we do play a four two three one, I think Shakiri does deserve deserve a start. Um, but again, he, he he can play in rotation just because we we play four two three one. I don't think he's a he has to start for it to work. I think you could easily move Salah back. Back out wide and play play Sturridge and Firmino up front, um, or or play or play Solanke or or play Firmino wide left and and Sturridge and Salah Salah up top. I think I think there's a few variations we have. I don't think I don't think um, we if we play a four two three one, Shakiri has to start. I don't think we're that desperate for for attacking options because I think Sturridge in a four two three one where where he has another another striker. Essentially stretching, stretching teams and doing his running forward. I think he's still very effective. 
um, and he'll have a big part to play in the season. It's just in in a four three three. I think Sturridge is is similar to Shakiri. He he just doesn't fit it uh, because there is a specific physical or specific physical attributes you need to have to play under Klopp in that in that four three three system, um, and it's very difficult to find those players. Um, so I do think Shakiri is has kind of forced his, himself into a position where he can find himself unlucky if we play 4-2-3-1 and not play. But I also don't think we're at a point where where the effectiveness of a 4-2-3-1 is reliant on Shakiri playing either. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, when, yeah, when I say when I say I don't think Shakiri will be starting a lot of the big games, I, I do mean that in a general sense. But obviously, as Joe's rightfully pointed out, there are sort of a lot of variations within the term big game. You know, Napoli, Napoli at home is the sort of game where I would consider starting Shakiri. Any game against Man United, again, you'd consider starting Shakiri. But then against, for example, Man City, I wouldn't put him anywhere near the starting eleven against Man City. It wouldn't even the thought wouldn't even cross my mind because I don't think he's um quite there in terms of what he brings to the table uh, in the pressing. But I think it's it's fine lines but it's a fine line, isn't it? Because you know we we saw against Napoli in the nil in the in the one nil defeat that we we needed someone like Shakiri in that team because our midfield was just pathetic at times in that game. Whereas um, in other games, we have seen that in a big game we do need that stability in the middle of the park. I know I know it was controversial, but against Chelsea in the one one, a lot of people were saying we needed Naby in that game, and I honestly thought if we started Naby, we'd have we'd have lost the game. So it, it is it, it sort of all all plays out. Um, uh, but yeah, I think it is going to be interesting going forward to see Shakiri's role in those sorts of games. Certainly, I wouldn't start him in Paris. I would consider starting him at home to to Napoli, um, and especially in the four two three one. I am curious to see at what point Klopp gambles on the four two three one in a big game because at the moment we've kind of seen, and I think this is maybe not maybe not a bad motto to get into, but four three three with a solid midfield, bring in the likes of Wijnaldum and Milner in the big games and then in the in the smaller games against teams we should really be beating. Um go go with the four two three one, allow the space in midfield, um, play Shakiri, have a bit more dynamism, have a bit more energy, have a bit more strength and trust the back four. And I think that's worked really well up to a point. Um I think obviously the issue has been in games like for example Red Star away where we rotated too much, rested too many important players, didn't take the game seriously enough and in in many respects, just I think the biggest problem with the Red Star game for me was that the players who played the worst were players we should be relying on. So Allison had a howler, Van Dyke was really poor, Genie got murdered, you know. So I think it's interesting to see going forward if the the four three three in the big games tent will be the default because I think that's something that we have indicated Klopp will probably do but we just don't know how it's going to shape up. And that's why, for me, the Paris game is going to be a really, really interesting one. And then, as as Joe says, Man United, because Man United's a game that intuitively, I would say we can go with the 4-2-3-1 in that game because of the, the style United are going to play, but it'll be interesting to see if Klopp does gamble in that sort of game because previously the 4-3-3 hasn't, hasn't worked against Man United. They've been too stoic. They've been too difficult for the 4-3-3 to break down. So, I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? How is Klopp going to approach... Um, different games going forward because we have seen that in games like Arsenal he will throw Milner in there and go a bit more solidly and against Fulham at home we will throw Shakiri in there the question is just going forward is Shakiri going to work his way into the manager's thoughts to the point where he's undroppable um, I don't think he's been I don't think he's there yet I think a lot you know I think some people will argue that he's already undroppable I think that's uh, as I say, I think I think some people are over hyperbolizing him because he offers something we don't necessarily have in that midfield. Um, but I wouldn't say he's undroppable yet. Um, so yeah, I guess we it, it's one of those where we just don't know. We have to wait and see what Klopp decides to do. Really. Yeah, I think we're all in total agreement that Shakiri is a player who has definitely offered a lot more than the thirteen million pound move that kind of suggested he would. A lot of people were saying, you know, is he going to? to buy into Klopp's system? Is he going to defensively contribute? Is he going to work hard? Because during his Stoke days, that wasn't necessarily the case. Tom, you pointed to his inconsistency and I think that was that was one of the overriding feelings. Is this a guy who's going to be able to not only step up to a team vying for a title, but is he going to consistently produce? And I think, okay, it's still early days. Um, he is very much in and around the first team rather than being a mainstay in it. 
Um, but I think Scott is completely right when he says, you know, there's plenty more to come from him. He is a very, very good buy at 13 million. He actually offers Klopper now a really viable option, whether that be from the bench or from the starting 11, in which case, you know, you've still got really, really quality backups in the likes of, um, well, I, I would say Adam Lallana, but he's not he's not really on form at the moment. Um, but I think the whole point is that this is a player who's come into the team and he's really showcased himself as, look, I'm going to knuckle down. I am going to make an impact. Boss, you use me off the bench, use me uh, from the start do whatever and I will make a difference to this team and and you've got to commend the way he's done that and for a, a fan's perspective that's always an exciting thing to have options and to know that those options are going to make a difference like Shakiri has um, so hopefully it, it continues and I wouldn't be too surprised to see him um, in the starting 11 a little bit more consistently now um, as Klopp looks to try to to solve that midfield puzzle, to to solve the the gap between the midfield and attack, to maybe look to to bring the best out of Firmino and and to allow that uh, link play with the likes of Salah and Mane as well, and and hopefully gain a, a bit more fluidity when we move forward because that was something that we saw a lot of last season in terms of the the interchanging of position. Um, but I think I think we round off there. I think you know we're all in agreement that Shakiri is the player who's doing very well at the moment. Um, so Joe, I'll go to you. Have you got any final thoughts on Shakiri? Um, and if not, do you want to uh, give us your plugs? Yeah, just I think Shakiri's had a really impressive start, and for the um, for the transfer fee that we signed him for, um, it's, it, it's looking like a great bit of business. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, he continues to impress and. Uh, like Tom said, only time will tell if he can uh, sort of maintain that consistency. But I think I think playing for Liverpool that that does suit his personality. Um, he, he, I think I feel like he's the sort of player who needs to be playing for a big club uh, under a big manager with a big personality. And I think at Liverpool, Liverpool he has that. So I think that will be particularly uh, from a mentality point of view a big factor into making sure he, he's consistent. As far as plugs. Um, haven't got anything planned until after the international break, um, but carry on, carry on listening to the uh, writers' pod. Uh, Tom and Leanne always have some great guests on and uh, put a lot of hard work into it. And as as usual, uh, the uh, AI Pro, a lot of great shows on there. Rate, rate, don't hate. Which Tom K and uh, Adam are doing. Start of the season is brilliant and uh, under pressure, and all the other great pods that are out there. It's brilliant, brilliant coverage of the Reds and. Uh, when they're playing well, it's going to be a great season. So uh, strap yourselves in and uh, enjoy the ride and let's hope uh, we can uh, beat City to the title. Yeah, I, just to follow on from that, AI Pro does offer a lot of stuff. So definitely check that out if you haven't. And um, yeah, I mean, if you haven't looked at Joe's article, definitely one to look at. Um, okay, you know, it was based on Red Star, but I think it's particularly poignant given given the fact that Liverpool haven't really hit the ground running and, and still have a lot more to give, but are in a very, very positive position in terms of the Premier League and keeping pace relatively with, with Man City. So it is an exciting start to the season. It, it has given people a lot of confidence and, and I hate to be cliche, but it has turned doubters into believers that this team can actually challenge. Um, so yeah, check out his piece and, and check out um, Scott Grooms as well. Um, Tom, have you got anything to plug? Um Joe's plugged most of mine for me. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I've got an article out at the moment that I'm sure you'll appreciate, Liam, which is on Joe Gomez. Um, and basically the question, and well, no, Joe, you'll love this. I've already mentioned this article to you as well, but um, <laughs> just asking whether or not Joe Gomez is a brilliant form so far this season has meant that we don't need to dip into the market for a centre-back. I know, Joe, you're one oh, person who's... No, no. Joe, Joe has been vehemently <laughs> arguing we need a centre-back for about a year now. Um, yeah, we still I think... do. <laughs> uh, there you go. That answers his viewpoint on it i think i think personally it was just a twofold it was just a good a good opportunity to basically say joe gomez has been amazing so far this year but also look at whether or not how the how how our center back situation as a whole is looking i mean obviously a lot of people have interpreted it as me saying do we need to replace joe gomez that, that's not what the article was the article was you know our love run and matip as backups still good enough now that we've got a player who's nailed down both of them nailed both of them behind to be a, a starter basically is what the article was about yeah, that's definitely sounds like something I'd be interested in. Um, Joe Gomez has had a brilliant start to the season, so I'm definitely going to check that one out now that I'm kind of back to normality. 
Um, but from my perspective, um, as as Joe said there very kindly, we do put a lot of work into the pod and we do get great guests on like Joe himself. So definitely um, continue to listen to us and, and hopefully you enjoy the podcast and interact with us on Twitter as well if you you know have any additional questions for the writers or for us as, as the hosts. Um, personally, I have an article coming out that's kind of on the idea of how our progression has been underlined by those who have been left behind. So looking at People like um, Joel Matip, Adam Lalana, possibly even Daniel Sturridge have not decided if if he quite warrants to be in the article because he's still offering something. Um, but you know, Adam Lalana, a couple of years back, he was he was one of the the mainstays within Jurgen Klopp's team. He was a creative figure. He was doing very well. Um, and and Joel Matip as well. He came into the team as someone who a lot of people thought was going to be one of the best defenders at the club and. And it's not really a negative to say that he's fallen short of that, but it's actually an indication of how people like Joe Gomez have actually progressed through the ranks and and now are, are doing so well alongside the likes of Virgil van Dijk. So um, hopefully that will be pieced together um, in the coming days. Um, other than that, we'll we'll be back next weekend. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, Joe. No Take problem. care. Podcast Network.